0: What Joe Rogan is spewed is 1,000% false. What Brendan Schaub has then parroted is 1,000% false. Rogan's source is Dana White. Brendan's source is Joe Rogan. If someone tells me something off the record, if I go out and report it, I should be done. There's no way I should practice that kind of journalism and still be here 13 years later. That never happened. That story that Rogan told, that never happened. The story that Brendan talked about a couple weeks ago, it's 1,000% false. And in fact, it's damaging, damaging to my reputation because that's the kind of stuff that a hack journalist does. I'm not a hack journalist. And with that, welcome to Really Stopping, your show where the news of the day is usually given just enough time, but sometimes not enough. If this is your first time stopping by, we thank you and get ready for something you won't find anywhere else. I'm John Franklin, hack journalist, and I'm joined by the godfather of fight night picks, Craig Allen. Craig, how are you?
1: John, I've listened to the album Donda at least six or seven times now. And I look like this is a part of like Jesus Lord. Like I'm going up to the heavens because it is bright AF in here. And you know what? You had a great opening quote. And look at me. I've got my whiteout towel here. And you know what I actually have? You're going to like this. Go Habs Go playoffs 2021. I'm just down the road from their practice facility. I walked over there uh, yesterday. I've got it over there. I got my wife a a nice hat for our second anniversary. So my heart goes out to her because I couldn't be home. But uh, yeah, Jadol, Quebec.
0: Explain to me how you get the Habs. How does that work? How are they the Habs?
1: Don't really have a good answer to that. It's a long story, but from Les Habitants. So yeah.
0: On this episode of which we talk Cannoneer's pockets, Till's absence, and Sanko's first. But, Craig, we begin with Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley fought this past Sunday. It went the distance. It was Paul who got his hand raised. A split decision, decision victory that had the same blueprint. as a lot of split decision victories. One fighter, the more active fighter. One delivering, the more damage. Most had it for Paul. But the question for you is, Craig... Do you believe all this Paul one business and do you want to see them fight again as they have already started to angle for a rematch?
1: I'm the perfect guy to ask, right, John? Because I said, oh, by the way, I'm probably going to buy the fight. Little did I know um, that I was going to be waking up at 10 to 4 on uh, on Monday and flying out to come to Montreal. So. Of course, I didn't watch the fight. However, I did see on the Twitterverse that at SM Cornerman over on Twitter, he was watching the fight and he was tweeting about the fight. So I got a little (laughs) bit of knowledge out of it. But from not watching it, I actually gained a different perspective. I think what's the one thing that you yourself and you're going to be a little skewed, but what's the one thing you've seen out of all of the fallout and all of the aftermath from this fight on social media? the fallout but like, tell me like pick pick one major thing that you've seen after this fight on social media
0: jake paul retired woodley for me won. it's jake
1: paul it's jake paul in the ropes back and tyron woodley standing like this that's looking true. like he won yeah. the fight
0: yeah that's. Terrible. i didn't
1: watch the fight at all to me that's first thing i think of is tyron woodley probably won the fight if that's if that's what happened so for me it's it's, it's a little awkward, um, you know, angling for a rematch if it's a split decision, if it really was that close of a fight, because listen, I was following your tweets and the tweets of others for the first, what, two rounds, three rounds, and then I fell asleep. But it seemed like, okay, this is the old tyrant. He's gun shy. This is, this is a poor fight. It's not a good one. And then I wake up and, hey, it ended up being a little bit closer after some action. So maybe Woodley had to be a little bit more active for him to win the fight. Maybe he has a leg to stand on for, you know, a rematch. But for me, I don't necessarily need to see it again. All I can tell you is, though I missed my second wedding anniversary, the fights on September 11th are what I'm living and breathing for. I can't wait for Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz. She knows that. I know that. You know that. And I'm not lying. I'm going to watch that fight.
0: I'm pretty excited about those fights too. I got something planned that weekend, and I, I might be in your same boat in my uh, ability to watch it, though. Uh, listen, uh, you didn't see the fight, but I'll give you the quick synopsis. It was a lot of Jake Paul jabs. It was a lot of Jake Paul movement, trying to get him tired. And the thing that that I I'm surprised I wasn't more keyed into in, in the pre-fight analysis, you know, which I'm well known for my pre-fight analysis. But I'm one thing I did not focus on pre-fight. That ended up happening is we know Tyron. Tyron waits for a big shot so he could be outpointed. In boxing, you can be outpointed. So what it really came down to was, would Tyron be able to land a shot that would finish Paul? Well, guess what? He kind of did. That's the image that you saw. He cracked him and put him into the ropes. And then that's what got Paul on his bicycle. Um, he'd been on his bicycle from the beginning, but in the beginning it was a strategic bicycle riding. Let me get this old man tired. And later it was a, um, a little bit different kind of a, of a bicycle ride. And we're going to get to later. You know, the question that is coming out of this is, is you know, it's, it's really smart the way that Paul's handling who he's picking. A big enough name, but just enough washed. They, they sort of fit the, this category. There's certain names he's not calling out, which we'll get to uh, Maya and uh, uh, Rankin this week. What do you think? I mean, obviously the retirement's not real. He'll be back. But do you think that he should stick with this sort of guy, Tyrone Woodley? I mean, Tyrone Woodley is showing that we're getting closer to Jake Paul, right? He was picking perfectly before because he was picking stiffs. Then ended up getting cracked. To answer the haters, he kind of started picking better fighters and almost cost him in this fight. Do you think he should go closer to a guy like Tyrone Woodley or further away?
1: I think, you know, you want to provide legitimacy to this, right? So you beat a former one championship champ, a former Bellator champ, and Ben Askren, who's definitely fallen on hard times in combat sports. You beat Tyron Woodley, a former, you know, UFC champ. In my mind's eye, John, seriously, when he was continuing to hold on to the belt, I thought, this is the next guy. This is the guy that's going to take over or overtake uh, George St. Pierre, which seems awful to say when I'm in Montreal. But uh, he seems like that next guy at 170 pounds. And then all of a sudden, now that guy's Kamara Usman. And Woodley's on such a slide that it's so weird. But for me, I brought up two names um, in our last show. To me, it's either a guy who's from Montreal and Jean-Pascal. You got to fight Jean-Pascal or you got to fight Badu Jack. You got to fight one of those two guys. That's That provides legitimacy. I mean, those guys are what? Between 195 and 225? So that's that's the fight for him that I could see happening. And we move on. All right, John, we'll move on. And I mean, when we're focusing on the MMA landscape right now, Jerk Kananir came out recently and basically said he was broke. He clarified that statement this week, and he's not broke, but he wants to be paid like an elite-level fighter. So what gives? Was Kananir mistaken, or did somebody kind of get to him?
0: Uh, what gives is somebody got to him, right? Clearly Dana or somebody coaches, you know, they said, listen, Dana's got afraid to put a guy on ice uh, who's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm guy, if I have Cannoneer's ear or I'm with the UFC, I'm saying to Cannonier, listen, man, if you're telling me you got financial problems, you don't know the type of financial problems you're going to have. This guy's not going to have you fight for a year. If you don't chill out and uh, you know just sort of play ball, I think that uh, I don't think that he changed his mind about representing what he. You know, I, I don't think that elite level fighter, is such a phrase and a weird term. You know, like is he elite level fighter, elite level fighter or not? Well, he's probably a top ten middleweight, right? So I, I would say that's elite level. So yeah, I I, I don't think that he said, he's not doing himself favors either way. Right. Like, like rubbing the UFC the, raw, um, the wrong way doesn't help, but also kind of telling your everybody you're broke doesn't help either. So are you looking for sympathy? Are you making a negotiating play? What, what gives? What do you think?
1: I blame his management. I mean, I'm reading a direct quote from the MMA fighting article right now. Fighting is our only revenue. I don't have sponsors or anything like that. Fighting is my only focus. I'm not out here doing commercials or anything like that. Nobody's asking me in the next asking me to be in the next Marvel movie, not being able to fight for the last 10 months, put a strain on our pockets. So I'm glad that I've gotten back in there. I'm glad that I get two checks plus that main event bonus. I'm glad I'm not injured so I can do it again. Why don't you have sponsorships? Why? I mean, even low-level fighters have sponsorships. I mean, I'm not saying that these two guys are low-level. Remember the buzz for Adrian Yanez versus Randy Costa? Remember Dr. Pepper versus Reese's Pieces? I'll never forget that. I was so jazzed for that fight because those guys marketed themselves so well. Were they top 10, top 5? Jerry Canyon is a top 3 contender. Why the hell doesn't he have any sponsors? Like it's not that he's like he's he's a marketable guy. He moved from heavyweight to middleweight. He has an incredible story. I don't see why he doesn't have sponsorship opportunities, why things aren't going his way. Obviously, fighting is your number one, you know, source of revenue if you're a fighter. It probably should be or would be. And you have to let your performances dictate the amount of money that you're gonna make. That that falls on you. You listen to Patty Pimblett out there this week. He realizes he can't just win a split decision against Luigi Vandramini. He's got to go out there with a pop. With that, he gets bigger fights, but with that, he gets more money. So, for me, with Jared Cannonier, to me, it's almost blaming his management at this point.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that you know, I'm with you. I think that he needs to really understand. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I saw the the uh, shop with like uh, Carmelo and Jack Harlow and all the people. One of the things Jack Harlow said was one of the traits that he thinks is one of his best traits is he's self aware. He says, I know what it's good and I know when it's not good. I know when it's special, and I know when it's not special. Uh, you could argue how much specialness Jack Harlow's made, but he's saying at least he has self-awareness of who he is as an artist. Some of these fighters need a little bit of self-awareness of who they are, and if they don't have the revenue, they don't have the accessibility to the revenue streams that you're talking about, they need to switch gears and figure something out. Man, They need to get on the seminar circuit. They need, I know the pandemic, I get it, but they need to figure out what is the other thing they bring to the table? All right, Craig. Speaking of someone who brings a lot to the table, Justin Gaethje's bored. He is, despite having to fight book with Michael Chandler for UFC 268, he seems unfulfilled. He says the division is not the same since Khabib left. That's what he says. What do you say?
1: Well, I mean, I saw it out there and read it before he came on. There was something posted two hours ago. Justin Gaethje said, and this is you know, this isn't exactly what he said, but it was more or less, and this is a paraphrase. Like, it was a travesty. He would never use that word. You think Justin Gaethje would ever say travesty? Basically, (laughs) it was a travesty that uh, Michael Chandler fought Charles Oliveira for a belt. It did basically disservice to the division. What are you talking about? Like, I I think what Justin Gaethje is going with is, okay, let's let's focus on MMA and compare it to the NBA. And I'm going to ask you a question with this. What do you prefer? Do you prefer a team like the 90s Bulls or do you prefer a league where there's parity and any team can win it any year?
0: The 90s Bulls was a horrible example because I was a fan of 90s Bulls when I was a kid. (laughs) So I would say the Warriors, because I'll be a little little less biased. Um, I would say I think it's good to have a villain. It's good to have somebody. It's good to have the Yankees. It's good to have, you know. I used to get frustrated when I was younger because I was an A's fan. We always lost to the Yankees in big games. So, yeah, it's frustrating. But when the D-backs beat them, it's a big deal. So, I I think more is is added to it's good to have dominance. I think the question becomes, do you like the one dominating or not? George St. Pierre was incredibly dominant. We all liked him, so it was great for us. You know, Anderson Silva, same thing, super dominant. We liked him. So, I think it depends on who's the guy dominating. But um, you know, I've always liked the parody in the lightweight division. But then again, I don't find Khabib as compelling of a fighter. So I like that there's you know that's it's it's all it's all studs in that division. But you'd like to see somebody rise to the top.
1: I like the I like the small America teams. I like the underdogs. And yeah, you know, to have two, three good guys, the Poiriers, the Oliveras, so on and so forth, Gaethje, Chandler. There, there's so many good fighters I prefer it when it's just a shark tank like when I get into MMA and it was like 2008 2009 and that light heavyweight belt just kept changing hands that was a lot of fun and then obviously you had a dominant champion for a long time maybe things got a little stale but I, I like that way but we'll move on John
0: real quick before we I know on, you one, watched, thing, go. one thing to say to Justin Gaethje hey man if you got problems you could have solved them the night you fought Khabib right you beat him now, now there's no, no there doesn't feel like anything's lost because you've now assumed his legacy and not for nothing, maybe he doesn't retire to beat him. So, I mean, you had your hands in the dough of the lightweight division and now you're saying the cake sucks. So it's like, dude, come on, you, you were the one stirring the batter. You could have done something about it. So, yeah.
1: I mean, with the lighting where we're at right now, John, we've reached the part of Donda where it's jail part two. We're almost done. There's a lot of controversy. And listen, you brought up Habib. John, I don't know if you watched the fight or not. I know I did because I was hyped AF, but Kevin Lee lost to Daniel Rodriguez last Saturday. And with that loss, he became two and five in his last seven. He's on quite a skid. Tristar didn't help. And to make matters worse, and, and a sidebar here. He only did video conferencing with Farah Sahabi before the fight. Like, he was just in Vegas the whole time. So I don't know how much TriStar would have helped, which is a shame. Because I'm just, like, 20 minutes away from the gym right now. Uh, to make matters worse, in some of the pre-fight press, he showed a regret over missing out on the Habib fight because Habib never fought a real wrestler. So, John, is Kevin Lee done?
0: You know, we're going to talk about this later. And I, and I don't I didn't want to jump the gun on the conversation for later but let's do it now. I mean, he could be, right? Or he could be the next Jorge Masvidal. I mean, he has those, he has the skills. He has the personality. But here's the, I just feel like, I don't know for myself, again, we're trying to set biases aside. I don't know if, if, if who Kevin Lee is, in my mind, is a creation of Cheo Sonnen's affinity for him. And the fact that Chale's always sort of been like, oh, Kevin Lee's next. And Kevin Lee understands the game. And Kevin Lee flew himself all around the country right. at his own expense. And Kevin Lee this and Kevin Lee that. I mean, listen, he's kind of a guy who's underachieved. So if we look at him for what he is now, in fairness to Kevin Lee, there's a lot of studs in that seven, right? That's not a bunch of bums that he went in his last seven. The only person that maybe he should have, I don't want to say should have beat, because if he's a stud, he should have beat them all. But, you know, I mean, the Rodriguez fight is the most disappointing. But everybody else that he fought kind of had a name, kind of had some juice behind him. Like, he fought some guys. So, I don't know. I I think that there's always potential for someone to rise now that we've seen Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal might be an anomaly. He might be Haley's Comet that comes around once every so often. But, listen, the kid's got the skills. He's got all the ingredients, right? But it's like you're – I hate to be on this cooking theme this week, but he has all the ingredients, but it's like they're getting cooked out of order. That makes sense.
1: And I want you to see, I can walk on water. Thousand miles on shore, I can float on the water. You know, it's like Hurricane on Kanye West's new album, Donda. It's, it's a perfect storm with this guy. It's just so weird. And to me, it's easy to say this after the fact. And it's hard when Matt and I do our picks and predictions for us not to be incredibly biased and really, really take one side. We try our best to kind of show you both sides of the equation, what makes sense. Then ultimately we make our pick on it. But with Kevin Lee, it was like, okay, there's so many question marks. He talked about injured ribs. He talked about both ACLs being injured. Um, You're coming into a fight against a primary striker that has those defensive grappling traits. I don't think Daniel Rodriguez is a slouch by any means. I've been tooting this guy's horn since he came into the UFC, the only knock I had on him was that the level of competition he faced outside of the UFC was bad. And then he comes in, now he's ranked with a win over Kevin Lee. But truth be told, John, like I don't think Kevin Lee has a good shot against some unranked guys at 170 pounds. You think he can beat Sean Brady? Because personally, I don't. Brady's so much bigger. He's such a dominant grappler. His cardio is good. He can hang on the feet. Like Lee has a hard time accepting damage on the feet. He has a really hard time accepting straight shots down the middle. I don't think, you know, I don't think he's got that Masvidal shot Now a has been finished in the past year sure, or whatever. Uh, it wasn't the easiest thing, right? But it's happened. So I, I don't know. I have a really hard time putting my finger on what Kevin Lee's future really could be, especially in the UFC. I think he could do the Bellator run. He could have a Sergio Pettis type career. But to me, I, I just, I don't see it. At 170 pounds in the UFC, at 165, that mythical division, I, I don't see it, and it sucks, because I really do like Kevin Lee as a fighter.
0: Well, maybe he has a second life as an analyst. We'll start there. But the other part of it is I like the Bellator play. But here's my question. Has he lost his um, value to the UFC? You know, the UFC lets a guy go when it's like, all right, it's enough. Like, we, like we, like we don't fear... You going, and sometimes listen, they've 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 uh misjudged that, right? When they let Ryan Bader go, Ryan Bader went and became a star in Bellator, right? Now is his profile any bigger than it was in the UFC? Maybe not, but he did some great things in Bellator, two division champion, like he showed that you can have a career after the UFC. Just meaning, and the reason I say that is meaning on some level the UFC might regret letting Ryan Bader go. Do you think if the, the UFC were to let Kevin Lee go at this point, they would regret it?
1: So, I can only give you the fight and a picks perspective um, in terms of the numbers. So, the way that it works with our picks and predictions, there's a lot of blips up and down, right? For every single fight. You know why? Why? Because people don't watch the videos half the time. Half the time, they just go to the end. Who do they pick? Oh, boom. And then I'm going to hit the comments section and rag on them and make them feel awful. But all that aside, You get an idea of what fight are the masses actually caring about. There's a big jump at the end of that video for Kevin Lee and Daniel Rodriguez. Do you think it was for D-Rod? I'd say maybe a quarter of the people there for Rodriguez. Three quarters are probably there for Kevin Lee. So I think he still has value. I mean, you know, from a selfish perspective, he did for us. But on the flip side for the UFC as well, it's just weird when a guy like that isn't the co-main event. I mean, I know that they had the two Ultimate Fighter fights after that, so it was a bit of an anomaly. But it seemed like he had that big pop at the start of the week on Ariel Helwani's show, and then after that, it just kind of waned, and then he lost.
0: And we move on, Craig. Craig, I was watching the Paul Card, and I saw a Man of Serrano fight. I'm a huge Amanda Serrano fan for a couple of reasons. Covered her at Combat to America's, met her, interviewed her. Uh, I like the fact that she's pretty much done the boxing MMA thing the best of anyone. She's one of the best women boxers in the world. And um, I feel like she doesn't get her due. I immediately started thinking about Amanda Serrano fighting Kayla Harrison. Then I saw, okay, what weight is she fighting at tonight? I think she was fighting at 126. Harrison obviously fights at like in the 150s. They're nowhere near each other in weight, like I said. But one person who is smack dab in the middle of them is the GOAT, Amanda Nunes. Serrano could come up and fight her. At 35, Harrison could go down and fight her. At 45, who do you think has a better chance of defeating Amanda Nunes? The stand-up specialist Amanda Serrano or the ground game killer Kayla Harrison?
1: So if I can be real, and to quote the great uh, Kid Cuddy, so much to say in these melodies, oh, stare at the sky, the moon singing sweet. Oh my God, such a sweet moment. It was great to see her win there. It'd be the opposite of the song Moon by Kanye West on Donda. If Amanda Serrano were to fight Amanda Nunes in MMA, we don't want to see that. Uh, So to me, I think, you know, a better opportunity is for Kayla Harrison to fight Amanda Nunes at 145. We've seen that Kayla is able to make the weight class easily. She's going to mop in the finale for the PFL. Like it's not, it's not even going to be close, but... At a certain point almost like the conversation we had before at lightweight you just kind of get sick and tired of seeing kayla harrison just line up the pins just to knock them down every season and we want to see her tested i'd rather see that fight for serrano she's kind of in that spot just like um uh claressa shields where all right claressa's got a more developed game but serrano we're gonna have to wait and wait and wait i think the better fight's probably harrison nunez
0: you know here's the irony of Amanda Serrano. Amanda Serrano has fought a couple of times in Kabate Americas. And the last time I think she fought MMA, it was uh, Icon, Fighting Federation. She finishes people with submissions. So we can't exactly translate what she does in boxing to MMA, meaning this. She's not going to finish Amanda Nunes with submission. So if really her strong suit which would be crazy, is that she's a better submission fighter in MMA than stand-up, that's not where she has an advantage with, with Nunez. So, yeah, I would say that if I, if I had to bet my house on something, it would be Kayla Harrison getting her hands on Amanda Nunez and, and sort of you know working it out. I think Amanda Nunez would be both. But I'm saying if we're talking about who has the greater, the greater likelihood of beating Nunez – it's um and I'm all over the place with the pronouncing your last name, but um <laughs> I, I'd say Harrison. I do want a just, great
1: sound. If give, you want a give, great soundbite about uh, fighters talking about people betting their money on them, go listen to Claire Roundtree's uh, MM or Media Scrum today. And somebody asked him, you know, is the most annoying thing that you get in the DMs people saying, "Oh, you lost me money," and he basically said there was some guy that hit him up said, "Oh man, you lost me six hundred fifty k." And he's like, I felt fucking great because of it. Like, fuck that guy. If he had that kind of money to lose and he was going to message me about it, that's great. So good for Khalil Roundtree. He's a good sport. And he's got a big fight this weekend. John, the Underground Whisper Network, they're whispering. And they're talking about Nate Diaz and Vicente Luque. Now, this is not the type of fight that Nate Diaz has been taking of late. So, John, do you like this fight? And B, do you think it's even going to happen?
0: I mean, I love the fight. But I don't. Th- I, I just don't see the upside for Nate. I mean, unless well, what you know, Nate is the king of um, high upside, low downside fights. You know, every fight that he wins, he beats some. Well, let me take that back. Fighting a guy like Jorge Masvidal, there is a downside. I mean, Nate has a lot of faith in his chin, just like his brother Nick does. Neither one of them thinks they're going to get finished, so they they can go in there with bangers. And, st- and go all five rounds with them because they know they have the cardio or three rounds, whatever the fight calls for, and know that at the end of the fight they're going to be able to say, you know, I beat this guy, right? They're, they're going to be able to form the narrative around that they actually won and the guy was running and he was scared. And remember when I bitch slapped him in the second and all that stuff, right? Um, he could certainly do that against Vicente Luque. I mean, he could hang with Vicente Luque. He could not get finished by Vicente Luque. He could bitch slap Vicente Luque. He could say he beat Vicente Luque. But at the end of it, what's the point? What has he gained? Now, unless he thinks that he is so much of a draw that he could carry – I mean, he's obviously the A-side with Luque. You could argue he's the A-side with um, Masvidal. You could argue he's the A side, like Poirier, like all these fights, he 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 would still be the A side, but um, I, I just I don't see the play, I don't see the upside unless he really I mean, do even I- if he even if he beats him does he get it clo- does he get him closer to the belt? No, so I mean I don't know. No,
1: no, but I mean I don't know if anybody listened to Pop Smoke's uh, you know album that came out after he passed away. <laughs> but there's a song on there called "Tell the Vision." And it's also on Kanye West's new album, Donda, but it's just pop smoke. Now, John, the lyrics are, I used to eat 50 cent cake. Now it's Philippe's. It's Philippe's for the steak. Buy it. I don't care what it costs. I think that perfectly sums up Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz. They're going to take these fights. I don't think they care if it gets them any closer to the title. They can buy Philippe's for the steak. They're just going to continue to make that money and leverage what they have uh, in terms of getting bigger fights that are draws monetarily, so yeah. To me, it's a risky fight for Vicente Luque because in the off chance that he loses, he loses all that momentum that he's just built up, especially with the finish over Michael Chiesa. And yeah, for Diaz, it's just a really weird play. I don't think it makes a lot of sense.
0: All right, Craig, we move on to sparring sessions. Craig, someone brought up, and I'd love to give credit for it. I saw somewhere on the internet, or the socials, or the something you know, with the screen that I'm on too much. Where someone said, "Now that we're seeing all the trouble that these MMA fighters are having with Jake Paul, Ben Askren aside because he was, you know, he he's what he is as a striker, but Tyron Woodley's is a legit striker uh, in terms of MMA. Does it make what Conor McGregor did against Floyd Mayweather look even more impressive? Because he was making his debut against perhaps the greatest, one of the greatest boxers of all time, and Tyron's making his debut against." A kid that was on the Disney Channel, and Connor went as long as he went, looked good, cracked Floyd a couple times, won some rounds, and you know Tyron did what Tyron did. So, what do you think?
1: Um, the big question there that I have, because I'm pretty sure, and this is going to come off like a bit of a dick answer. Okay, Box Rex said that he fought once. I thought he had one fight before that. I thought McGregor went into that fight like 0-1-1 as a pro boxer. But his box rec says that he's 0 one now after the fight against McGregor. Did you watch when Logan Paul fought McGregor? Or, sorry, when he fought Mayweather, sorry? I didn't. Actually, nope. I, might have,
0: I might have saw something bootleg. I wasn't impressed.
1: Yeah, because Floyd kind of carried Logan Paul and made him look good. Which is the same thing that he did against Conor McGregor. So, to me... Does it make Connor look any better? No, it makes everything look worse. It just makes everything look worse.
0: You know, I agree and I disagree. I think that, you know, the things that Connor was doing against Floyd, if you take them in and of themselves, were more impressive than the things that Logan was doing against Floyd. Also, Floyd was younger, closer to his prime. Also, Connor was in his prime. So I think that it's a a tricky question. I'm with you. I I tend to think what Connor did was more impressive. But the one thing that you can't that, that makes the equation difficult is that when Jake Paul goes in there, Jake Paul's fighting for his life because he's not a good of a boxer.
1: Who is he? R. Well, Kelly?
0: No, what I mean, yeah, no, what I mean is he's fighting for survival because he can get embarrassed. Floyd knows he's not Floyd is good enough to know what he can take and what he can't take. He's good enough to know in the first couple of rounds how to stay away from this guy, how to give him a shot, how to let him look good. It's, it's rare that you're gonna catch in boxing, right? There's not as many knockdowns or knockouts in boxing. In boxing, you know when they say in MMA the punch that gets you is the one you don't see, Floyd sees them all, right? So that's why he does. He's never got gotten because he sees them all. So if he's letting Connor get off or he's letting Logan get off. It's because he kind of has an idea of what, um, of what's coming. So I, I, while I, while I do think Connor looked better from a technical standpoint than these other two jerk offs and even Tyron Woodley. I think that um, I, I tend to agree with you that, that, that he got a lot of help from Floyd.
1: We're going to make a t-shirt of that. John Franklin says Floyd May- Mayweather letting jerk offs get off.
0: I'm in, I'm in check out the merch store. All right, Craig, I'm going to both introduce and uh, answer this week's featured segment because I got a little bit of a rant that I want to go on. This week Let's we want we, to we talk about Jake Paul. And I feel like he's saying a lot of names, Craig. But he's not saying them all. And the names that he's saying, right? When you say Tyron Woodley's name, Jake Paul is 6'1", 190 pounds, right? That's what you would say generically speaking, he is, right? So he's six, one 190 pounds, makes you a middleweight, Chris Weidman, right? You're walking around, you're Chris Weidman size, okay? Now Weidman's hurt, but there are a lot of guys that are the size of Jake Paul, who if he knows as much about MMA as he says he does, he should be calling out instead. So this, for this week, rank them. Who are the fights that Jake Paul's avoiding? Craig, feel free to add. Here are mine. He has All not right. said Anderson Silva's name once. Him and Anderson Silva are within two, each, two inches of each other height-wise and about 10 pounds weight-wise. He has not said Vitor Belfort's name, who's fighting in Triller. Oscar, De- through his whole process, he hasn't said Vitor Belfort's name. He's not said Jacare Souza, who's a name that only recently he could say, right? But he's not said Jacare Souza. Okay, I would not say that Jacare Souza is a better striker than Tyrone Woodley, but he's a little bit more active. Okay, he has not said, and this is my last one. He's not said Luke Rockhold's name. Now Luke Rockhold is under contract. Okay, trust me. Between Luke and Dana, the way shit's been going. Luke could get out of that contract if he wanted to. Those four guys are the guys. And now, listen, if you have other names, please give them to me. But those four guys are the guys who are Jake Paul's size that would take a fight to him. That are kind of a little bit closer to their uh, to their prime. Certainly, than Tyrone Woodley is. He's not saying their names.
1: I'm trying to commute communicate telepathically over the uh, internet to tell you that Jacare Souza versus Jake Paul is the dumbest fucking idea I've heard all fucking day. Why do you think a guy in his forties that's good at jujitsu that can't market himself to Jake Paul's audience whatsoever would earn a fight against Jake Paul?
0: Well, I think that some of these guys are creations, right? Ben Askram wasn't anybody until Jake Paul created him as far as as far as his world but
1: he always had the marketing aspect to him even in the UFC like even after he got finished by Mosval, he could kind of do that self-deprecation he's a good speaker not to say that Jacare isn't I mean he'd bring in like uh you know he'd bring in the Portuguese and Brazilian crowd I guess but like who the hell
0: Jacare's Jacare's got what 15 year old kid's
1: gonna buy a fight because Jacare Sosa's on the poster
0: I don't know. I mean, do you think that they're going to buy it because of Tyron Woodley? I mean, I know he has the Askren connection, but I don't know, man. I just think you're 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 singling out the Jacare Souza one. Let's take that off the off the table. Shouldn't Jake Paul I be fighting Vitor go. Belfort more so than Vitor Belfort fighting Oscar De La Hoya? I mean, doesn't that does not Paul Belfort make more sense than De La Hoya Belfort?
1: Belfort and Allen and Galani would have made a lot more sense over the one championship. The fight they were trying to make.
0: Well what I mean is is either De La Hoya's gotta put on weight. De La Hoya fought at 154 when he was in his prime. So either either Belfort's going way down or De La Hoya's going way up, or this is just a straight exhibition. Like if they're you not going to go do each other and wait,
1: it's a straight exhibition. Did, did did you watch the untold, the Christy Martin story? I haven't yet you didn't it's it's really good i didn't know i honest to goodness this is gonna sound really stupid but i'll admit it to everybody out there didn't know christy martin was at all had no idea oh, watched it yeah. really appreciate it. i thought it was great um but then you talk about like some of the weigh-ins and putting quarters in your pockets and stuff i mean maybe oscar does that and he schools jake paul and then you know oscar's laughing all the way to the bank
0: i'm with you we move on to the socials craig let's get out of here on a rush with the socials for the gram Lauren Becomes the first woman MMA commentator in UFC history. I don't want to take away from the accomplishment. It's 2021. Anytime I see first woman ever in 2021, I'm like, fuck you, Ben. Like, what we have we been doing? It's 2021. Can't throw somebody on the mic before now. But, you know, listen, I've talked to Lauren Sanko. I think I've met her to UFC. She's cool. She does a great job. She's well-deserving. I can't think of anybody more deserving of her to get it. Maybe Juliana Pena, but you know how that goes. Um, what do you think?
1: I think Laura Sanco does a very good job, and uh, yeah, I mean she's she's done the Invicta run before. She's done commentary before. This shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, and she did a great job on Contender Series from a couple of fights that I did watch. So yeah, that and, and apologies out there too to the Fight Name Picks fans. Um, you know, a lot of people hit me up, hit us up. Hey, where's the Contender Series stuff? Where's the Contender Series stuff? <laughs> Life gets in the way. I'm in Montreal. That's where the Contender Series stuff is. We
0: move on to one Twitter hitter. In the category of who's the next Jorge Masvidal, what about Darren Till? He's got a fight coming up, and I feel like we don't barely hear from this guy anymore. He used to be the MA's best internet troll. Uh, So the question here is, have we seen the best of him both in terms of the cage, his relevance, or do you think he has another run in him?
1: Remember 2017, 2018 MMA Twitter? Who were the kings? There were three of them. Can you name all three? No. Not even one?
0: Ask me the question one more time.
1: The kings of MMA Twitter. There were three in 2017, 2018. Name, name even two of them.
0: Fighters, you're saying?
1: Yep, fighters.
0: Um, That's a good question. 2017? connor
1: no i'm gonna answer this one for myself darren till was one of them right and he was winning fights and he was one of the most popular ufc fighters out there the second Astrid- one was a fellow canadian elias Theodorou.
0: yeah
1: he was winning fights but he wasn't winning over crowds and the third one was chase sherman the gift king and he was winning <laughs> over fans and he was winning fights Now everything's gone off the rails. So yeah, for Darren Till, I mean, his big quotable out there. I saw the media scrum. I just started to watch it before we came on. But it was basically like, I'm effing here to fight. No shit, man. What do you think everybody else in the (laughs) fucking cards here to do? Like, there's 19 other people here doing the same thing you're doing. So, I, yeah, cool. If he wins, maybe he's got to run because Derek Brunson's ranked fairly high in this division. But uh, yeah, he's got to prove it in the cage at this point.
0: You know, to be honest, to, to me, his his career feels a little Robbie Lawler-ish. Big, big, like, everybody was like, this guy's the greatest when he came out. And then it was like he disappeared for a little bit and then he came back. So we'll see. Craig has some bad news. With his, uh, him joining the AEW, CM Punk kind of officially retired from LA. Uh, do you think Dana regrets his involvement, or rather CM Punk's involvement with the UFC? Or do you think he brought him in? Cash the check. We're good.
1: Well, I mean, it probably made them a lot of money in Chicago when they had him fighting on those two cards. And Duke Rufus was walking in behind him in the first fight looking like, man, this should not happen. This is bad news. <laughs> you should watch that walkout. I watch it every, like, once a month I watch that and laugh. Um, I love CM Punk. I love... I think he's, he's... From all the stuff I watch, he seems like a relatable person, a halfway normal person, given how big of a star he is and was in professional wrestling. And you know what? Credit to him for later on in his sporting life, completely switching sports, totally throwing his entire life in MMA and going even so far as to still commentate CFFC events. He does a good job on those two, by the way. Like, I, I really do like it. So I'm sure Dane is cool with it. He'll say that he regrets it because, listen, the first fight against Mickey Gall wasn't great. The second fight against Mike Jackson sucked. It was awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for CM Punk. Kudos. Yeah, sometimes Congrats. you do
0: gotta be in sometimes if you're in Dana's position, you can't really let the world know. You can't let them see behind the curtain and say, listen, man, we paid this guy this much money. He made us that much money, it was a win. You don't necessarily want the fans to know that you're engaging in that sort of uh, you know, professional uh prostitution in a way. So, I mean, I, I think that that's he, he, you're right. I don't think he'd admit it, but I think you know, if you if you if you hit him with some truth serum. He would uh he would tell you, yeah, it worked out for us. All right, Craig's want to start the conversation. Uh Gable Stevenson, and I know that we've asked this before, so let's ask it again, because this kid will not go away. Um, and not that we want him to, but you know, he seems to keep popping up. He's saying things like, you know, uh, I don't chase anything, Dana White has my number. You know, we've seen this before. We've seen, you know, Jordan Burroughs. There was a guy that, that somebody mentioned, it might have been you last last one that that was like a guy that was like for sure, gonna be a wrestler going to MMA. Can't remember his name, but you I think Kyle I'm Noak. Sure Kyle Noke
1: or Kyle and, not Kyle Noak. he's an actual MMA fighter. Kyle Dake?
0: Yeah. Guys that we thought for sure were gonna go and just never went. So you're Gable Stevenson's advisor. You have his ear. Would you advise him to go the Greg Hardy route, the Daniel Cormier route, or the Brock Lesnar route?
1: How long ago were the olympics
0: uh, like I you know the
1: paralympics are going on right now but how long ago were month. the olympics a month so he's about, about a that. month too late to sign a contract because he was <laughs> at his highest peak a month ago um so if i was in his corner you had these three options laid out in front of you every single day that you wait those dollar signs go down because people care less so to me, if you want to make a cash cow, and obviously there's still an opportunity for injury. We've seen it time and again, you see the issues that all these uh, wrestlers have had in their careers. Professional wrestling's probably number one. Uh, and then number two is probably MMA. But yeah, the longer you wait, the lower you go in terms of relevancy. And yeah, when you were an amateur sport icon, what do you do? Well, you, you make your pro turn, but you should have made it like, yeah, a while ago.
0: Well, let me let me solidify the question a little bit more for you because cause here's what I what I mean by it. Greg Hardy came into the UFC very entitled, right? Like I'm a pro athlete, I'm an all I'm an all pro, uh, I deserve certain things because of the caliber of athlete that I am. Brock Lesnar went to wrestling first, became a heel, also uh, but but immensely popular. And Daniel Cormier worked his way up through Strike Force, super humble guy everybody likes some workhorse kind of found a great camp and just sort of, you know, embrace the grind. Right. So if there's three options of I'm an entitled athlete, I'm a pro wrestler, or I'm embracing the grind, which do you, which would you advise Stevenson to do?
1: I would sit back, close my eyes, put my AirPods in um and with full context my one of my favorite albums of all time is 808s and heartbreaks if you didn't know I'm a pretty big Kanye West fan uh, I would listen to donda that just came out on Sunday and saying that Robocop is one of my favorite songs off that album might sound weird but I like the song remote control on donda I thought you should know on my instagram I gotta get out of hand I get out of hand why are you so mad he got it on remote control like a CEO I say gable Stevenson Gets it on remote control like a CEO on the Instagrams. and Starts calling out big wrestlers and actually putting his name on the dotted line signing and going with either WWE or AEW or whatever promotional or wrestling promotional paying the most money. That that's the play to me.
0: I'm with you. I think that 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 it's best to get your name up. Um, and, and listen, uh, this is going to sound kind of corny and cliche, but you know, get your name up while you're trying to get your game up. So, go to pro wrestling, but still train MMA here and there. If that's how you want to keep yourself in shape, use that to keep yourself like, in shape. He,
1: yeah, he's a big enough name that I doubt Gable Stevenson would have to do house shows. Like, it's not like he's going to have to wrestle on a Wednesday, right? In, like, butt fucked New Brunswick. Like, well, he's going to get, again, he's gonna get the a, big opportunities so he can train.
0: But again, here's where it gets weird. Is that? Do you think being in the WWE makes you more famous, or being an Olympian?
1: Well, he was already an Olympian, so what? Well, what
0: I mean, is, what I mean is, do you need the WWE to give yourself a larger profile to then go to the UFC, or do you think those two, those two UFC, fans aren't
1: mutually? Exclusive? Yeah, those two fans are different fan bases.
0: Okay. I'm with you. I, I agree with you, but I'm just saying that I don't. I, I'm, I'm also looking at it from the perspective, like you said, of did he not strike while the iron was hot after the Olympics? But then now, if you come in as an Olympian, it's like, all right. So now, if I go straight to UFC, now I'm zero and zero, fighting for the first time ever
1: in MMA. Yeah. The the blueprints there. You know who he has to talk to? Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's already done it. So there's the play. There you go. All right, Craig, let's move
0: on to finish strong. I only got a couple. Uh, Naima Yunus and and uh, Zhang Wiley, uh, two, has been booked for UFC 268. I get my redemption. Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes, rebooked for UFC 269. Poirier and Charles Oliveira. Have we had that conversation yet about that fight being booked? Nope. A lot, a lot going on. Are you, are you happy with all these bookings?
1: Yeah, I'm really happy. I mean, uh, I'm bringing it up here in front of me because we're at the end of the show and this is the part where it goes off the rails. I'm happy (laughs) with all those title fights. Um, I got to be completely and totally honest with you. There's one fight announcement that caught me completely off guard and I'm not joking. This is hipster Craig coming out at the end of the show. Demir Ismagulov is going to fight Muslim Salikov and that is coming up on October 30th, UFC 267. That's a fight you cannot miss. I absolutely love that fight. That's like that's that's like my favorite fight of the year. Like Costa Yanez was up there, Ismagulov, Salikov, that's a, or not Salikov, my goodness. uh Magomed Mustafayev, sorry. Sorry to Muslim Salikov. Magomed Mustafayev, That's that great fight. Ismagulov, Mustafaev, that's popping popcorn at the max. I have one more thing for Finish Strong, John. I I got one more thing I want to talk about. You don't Um, want to end on that? No, I was pumping it on the show. um, And this is actually a little bit of a downer. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, uh, threw it out there, we were going to go to Fight League Atlantic 2 in Truro, Nova Scotia on September 25th, I believe. Um, Today, the Nova Scotia Athletic Commission put an email out there to the promoter and said that uh, they're going to postpone all combat sports um, events until January 1st, 2022 uh, huge bummer, huge bummer to uh, you know, MMA in the Maritimes, huge bummer to obviously Derek, the promoter. Um, I saw him on Instagram live today. He said that uh, the last thing that he said, I'm serious. He said, we're going to go to New Brunswick. So we'll see how that plays out, but uh, definitely really disappointing news today, John, cause I was looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people, not just the fans, but the fighters themselves were really looking forward to kind of kicking it back into gear because we haven't had anything up here for a very long time. And it's just, it's its an odd situation. I mean, New Brunswick has totally reopened. Nova Scotia is going to totally reopen in a couple of weeks. So it's just a shame that, uh, yeah, we don't get to have live MMA.
0: Can you travel? Can Canadians travel?
1: Well, can I'm in Montreal, in the- so yeah, you can travel.
0: <laughs> well, no, but can you go into the United States or not?
1: Uh, You can go by plane. You have to, it's a whole rigmarole.
0: Oh, that's nice. Because imagine if there was a Bellator card in Phoenix, Arizona. That you could fly <laughs> into Phoenix and attend <laughs> the card. That'd be awesome. All right, Craig. Wow. There you have it, folks. Craig can be followed at Craig Allen FP. I can be followed at SM Cornerman. Uh, you can follow me at SM Cornerman. You might not hear nothing for a month. And then next thing you know, I'm tweeting the Jake Paul fight. Uh, the fight has been stopped. We'll see you next week. Craig, say something witty.
1: I'm beaming up.
0: Listen to Fight Night Picks. Watch Fight Night Picks and apparently listen to Donda. We'll see you next week. Peace.